Our first reading this evening comes from Luke chapter 4 and is the temptation of Jesus. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Having a sense of entitlement is believing that you are inherently worthy of special privileges or treatment. It's a feeling that I, I ought to be allowed to do this. I should be able to have that, to enjoy the other. And when the devil tempts Jesus in the wilderness, he tries to draw him in to the sense of entitlement. Because you're the son of God, aren't you? It's not right that you should be this hungry. It's not fair for God to put you through all this pain and discomfort. Be good to yourself. You are worth more than this. If God isn't taking care of you properly, why shouldn't you command this stone to become bread and satisfy your longings? You've got the power, haven't you? Can't you just feel every bone in your body longing for something to eat? Why fight it? It's a natural need. It's not going to hurt anyone if you do just this one miracle. No one will ever know. There's no harm done. And surely if God didn't want you to turn the stone into bread, he'd find some way of taking away the desire for it, wouldn't he? But since the desire is there and it is so overpowering, why not give in to it? After all, how can something be wrong when it feels so right? Jesus' response is to quote scripture from Deuteronomy. Man shall not live by bread alone, he says, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. When the devil is whispering in his ear, it's the only voice that Jesus can hear. But he knows that only God's word is life-giving. And the short-term gain of sating his own desires isn't worth the damage to his integrity and his relationship with his father that will ensue if he gives in to the temptation. 
So even though he longs to eat with every fibre of his being, he resists the temptation because he knows that as a son is obedient to his father, then if he's God's son, that means he's not free to do whatever he wants or to have whatever he desires. He has to do things God's way. And that can mean choosing the hard and difficult path and practicing self-denial. Because belonging to God means it's not all about me, what I want or what I need or how I feel, but it's all about God. His claim on my life. And just because something feels right doesn't make it right. So even though he is extremely vulnerable and the devil attacks him at a moment of great weakness, Jesus resists the first temptation and wins the first round. In round two, the devil offers him all the authority and splendor of the kingdoms of the world if he will just fall down and worship him. Why has God stuck you in the middle of nowhere here? You are so much better than this. You deserve so much more than this. Success, fame, wealth, prestige, all of these could be yours. You could be centre stage. But here you are wasting your life healing sick people and forgiving losers. They are nobodies compared to you. Why are you bothering with them? Go on, put yourself first. You deserve it. Let me give you the universal recognition you deserve. In my hands, you could amount to something. Be somebody, instead of bleeding yourself dry for all these people who just aren't worth it. You are so much better than this. I'll put you in the spotlight. I'll make you the envy of everybody. You'll be able to be proud of your achievements. Doing all this stuff for other people without recognition or reward is a thankless task. Stop wasting your life. I'll put you in charge. Put everybody else under your authority, except me. But Jesus responds by quoting scripture again. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. If God alone is worthy of worship, that means saying no to a shortcut to universal fame and adulation. Because the only person who gets to be in the spotlight is God. And belonging to God means serving God. It's about putting yourself out for others, not putting yourself centre stage. There is no entitlement in God's kingdom. This is the Jesus who told us that if we wanted to follow him, we'd have to take up our cross to do that. And here in the wilderness, he faces the devil down a second time. And it's at that point that he sets his feet upon the path that leads to Calvary. But the devil hasn't finished with him yet. He takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple and tells him to throw himself down. God won't let him fall because he'll send his angels to stop Jesus from hitting the ground. His landing will be so gentle, he won't fear a thing. Here's the temptation to suppose that if we belong to God, he'll look after us. He'll take care of us. He'll surround us with bubble wrap and keep us safe from all life's knocks and bruises. It's the idea that if if God is taking care of us and we belong to him, then nothing will go wrong. And the corresponding feeling that God hasn't kept his side of the bargain if things do go wrong. But just because we belong to God, that doesn't mean to say we need a charmed life. God's trampoline doesn't have a safety net to stop us hurting ourselves, no matter how reckless, careless or stupid we are. 
when God's kingdom is his priority and sometimes that matters more than our well-being. And it's wrong to live in the expectation that God will always bail us out no matter what happens if we do stupid things. It's no good blaming God when it all goes wrong and there's no room for making a bargain with God that says, I'll follow you so long as you make everything all right for me, no matter what. To say to God, I'll believe in you if you'll do this for me is to put the law to the test and Jesus won't go down that road and neither should we. Because a commitment to God is a lifetime commitment, whatever. Our part is to live our lives responsibly for him and he will always be with us and he'll always be there for us. But there are no guarantees that we'll get a free ride. He loves you unconditionally with no strings attached. And he'll be with you when the knocks come, but the knocks will come. But he looks for your commitment to be wholehearted as well. Not based on the condition that he'll never let anything bad happen to us. Because that's not how it works. All three temptations, one way or another, have something to do with self-importance. The sense that I'm better than this. I should get the recognition I deserve. I matter too much for anything bad ever to happen to me. And if you feel those ideas surfacing in your brain, then recognise where they come from. Because they don't come from your Heavenly Father. In his letter, Peter warns us that the devil is like a roaring lion prowling round looking for someone to devour. And dismay, dissatisfaction, disillusionment, disgruntlement, these are the weapons he uses to isolate us. Dysfunctional relationships, dissension, discord, disagreement. These are the things he tries to sow amongst us so that he can pick us off one by one. Be on your guard. His agenda is always to turn you against God and against God's people because he knows just how much damage he can cause if he succeeds in doing that. His aim is to wreak as much havoc and cause as much harm as he possibly can. So resist him. Submit to God. Because saying yes to God means saying no to temptation. And that means it's not all about you your rights, your wants, your desires, your needs, your priorities. It is all about God's kingdom and his righteousness. And Maya played that during the offering, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Putting Christ first is the devil's defeat and your salvation. Maybe these past few weeks you've been a long way from God. Because Christmas is a time for self-indulgence, isn't it? But God says, leave all that behind you. Come and sit at my table. Eat bread. Drink wine with me and with my family. And hear God speaking to you saying, this, this is where you belong. This is where I want you. Whatever failures lie in your past, I've forgiven them. Whatever battles you've lost, I've rescued you from those defeats. My son gave his life to redeem you. At the beginning of this new year, 
will you dedicate your life to me again? To take up your cross and follow Jesus. To say no to self and yes to him. And seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Because that's your salvation and the devil's defeat. So at God's invitation, we're going to share communion together. And wherever you've been, whatever lies in the past, however far away from God you might have been, God says, come, eat my bread, drink my wine. You are welcome. You are accepted. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are mine. And if in your heart you want to say yes to that, come and eat and drink in repentance and faith, because Jesus bids you come. Our second reading continues from where we left off earlier, starting Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Before I give a second mini-sermon tonight, it just occurs to me to mention that, that Michael, who's coming to take our morning service next week, said he'd be around in the evening as well, uh, not necessarily to take part in the service, but if you want to chat to Michael, uh, he'll be around in the evening, so we might want to come and meet him more informally then. We thought this morning about the Spirit of God coming down on Jesus as his baptism, and that was clearly a very special moment for him, to hear the Father declaring, you, you are my beloved Son. 
I'm really pleased with you. Yet when we get to Luke chapter 4, we discover that the Spirit coming down upon Jesus was so much more than just an emotional reassurance of the Father's love for him. Having been led by the Spirit into the wilderness to face down the devil there, Jesus now declares he has been anointed by the Spirit to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to prisoners, to bring sight to the blind, to set free everyone who suffers, and to let everyone know that this, this is the year of the Lord's favour. So that's quite an appropriate passage for the first Sunday in 2019. Could this... Could this be the year of the Lord's favour? Well, like Jesus, we've been anointed with the same spirit. We thought this morning how the Father says of us, as he said of Jesus, you, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. I delight in you. But it's not about us. Because we've been anointed with the spirit to be God's ambassadors to bring good news to the poor, to bring light into our people's lives, to set people free. So if 2019 is to be the year of the Lord's favour, it needs to be a recognition that we've been anointed by the Spirit to do something. The Spirit has the power to set people free from the things that oppress them, to open people's eyes to the reality of God and his great love for them, to release people from guilt, fear and despair. That's the liberating work of the Holy Spirit in in people's lives. And that kind of stuff happens as we share the good news of Jesus with people who need to know about the difference that the Spirit of God can make in their lives. It was the year of the Lord's favour because Jesus was sent in the power of the Spirit to bring the kingdom of God into people's situations. And if 2019 is to be the year of the Lord's favour, God anoints us and sends us to bring the good news of Jesus to other people's lives. And for that to happen, we need to be people who embrace the good news of Jesus for ourselves. Let's remember how the good news of Jesus transforms our lives. Let's remember that the gospel is good news. Let's allow the Spirit to release us from the harmful negative emotions that drag us down or mar our relationships with others. Let's allow the Spirit to open our eyes to the reality of who God is and to the full extent of his love for us. Let's allow the Spirit to release us from the guilt and the fear that so easily trips us up, to set us free from the burden of living up to other people's expectations, to hear him say to us, you, you are God's beloved child and he delights in you. Doesn't matter whether you failed, doesn't matter what other people might have said to you over the years, you don't need to feel afraid or guilty or inadequate or to hide away from him in shame. God delights in you, he bestows your spirit upon you, he says you are his beloved child. So let the Spirit of God stir up the smouldering embers of faith and rekindle them into a blaze that inspires you to live your life wholeheartedly this year for the one who gave his life for you. And once we've 
discovered or discovered afresh that the, the, the gospel is good news, that this is life-changing stuff, that this is fantastic, then we have something worthwhile to share with other people. We can share with them the liberation from destructive influences that we ourselves have experienced. The vision of goodness that inspires us. The freedom from negativity. It's when our faith is real to us that we can say, being a Christian is amazing. Knowing Jesus is fantastic. Giving my life to him was the best decision I ever made. And if it's a while since you felt like that, then God wants to renew that fire in your heart. Because if we can say that in our hearts, then we will happily pass it on to other people as well. Because we've discovered in Jesus a salvation that is so amazing, we want other people to know about it. And if I'm honest, sometimes... It's church that gets in the way of that, isn't it? Don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting you leave church to try and recover your faith because church is where God wants you to be. But over the years, there can be a danger that our faith gets a little bit stale sometimes, perhaps not quite as fresh or pleasant as it used to be. Sometimes we just miss the good old days. And if you've been around long enough, You've seen it all before. You've heard it all before. You know there's nothing new under the sun. So many New Year sermons this year, same as last year, same as the year before that. Sometimes it's that we just get worn down. What is it you put on the front? Christian life, long hours, exhausting, low pay, but the retirement benefits are out of this world. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's, it's a hard grind sometimes. And we can settle into a routine where we're just ticking over. And then something happens to disrupt that. And that's what happened in that synagogue in Nazareth when Jesus stood up and said, today, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, something's happening. Today, God is doing something. Today, it's real. And they didn't quite know what to make of that. Even those who admired Jesus' preaching thought he was perhaps going a bit too far here. Who did he think he was? He was just some young upstart. They'd known him since he was this high. They knew his family. What was going on here? It all sounded too radical, too risky, too novel and different to be safe. They'd been around long enough to know that they liked what they knew and they knew what they liked. And as the years ticked by, I find that's increasingly true of me as well. But that day in Nazareth, Jesus stood up and said, this is the moment. This is the year of God's favour. Because the Spirit of God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to open their eyes and set them free. And not everyone was ready for that. There were those who thought that if Jesus had come to bring good news, then they ought to be the prime beneficiaries of that. But actually said, no, God sent me out to others. It's not about you, it's about others. It's about those out there. It's not just for your benefit. 
and there were those who didn't want to hear it at all. And so they resisted the Spirit and rejected the Messiah, the one God had anointed. The decisive moment came. Today, in your hearing, this scripture has been fulfilled. And they didn't really want to know. Sometimes at Brighton Road, we talk about change, don't we? Do we need it? We recognise that we do. Are we open to it? Depends what it is. Would we welcome if it came? Mm, We'll wait and see. But the reality is that the Holy Spirit is God's agent of change and so sometimes can act in disconcertingly unpredictable ways. That day in Nazareth, it was Jesus standing up and telling the people that the ancient prophecy of Isaiah 61 had been fulfilled in their hearing. Centuries had passed, and this was the moment. What's the Spirit saying to us at Brighton Road? Could he be saying that 2019 could be the year of the Lord's favour? The year when blind eyes are opened and people are set free. I guess it has the potential for that. But it needs to start with us wholeheartedly re-embracing the good news of Jesus and discovering that the gospel is worth getting excited over. Worth passing on. And then when the good news becomes part of what makes us tick, the Lord will say, my spirit is upon you. I've anointed you to bring good news to the poor. I've anointed you to set the prisoners free. I've anointed you to bring sight to the blind. I've anointed you to liberate the oppressed. And as we welcome God's anointing on our lives, 2019 can become the year of the Lord's favour. And that won't be something that we do. But it's something that God does in us and through us as we open our lives to him and as we dedicate ourselves to prayer in this coming year. So are you open to that? Are you ready for that? Are you prepared for that? If not, then we need to say, Lord, Get me in the right place, get me in the right frame of mind and open my heart to what you want to say and what you want to do. But the challenge, the opportunity, the invitation to us all is will we put Christ at the centre of our lives tonight? And will will we ask him to fill us afresh with his spirit and anoint us to bring good news to the poor, freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom to the oppressed, to go, and for 2019, to be the year of the Lord's favour. Our closing hymn is number 42, Be Thou My Vision. And 
I want to suggest that we sing it as a prayer. Because if God is not at the centre and God is not the vision and the driving force and the be-all and end-all of our lives, then it's, Lord, I'm not in the right place, but get me there. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. So we might be able to sing it, yes, this is my wholehearted desire, or we might sing it as a kind of confession, Lord, I know this is where I should be, but I'm not, but would you move me to the place where I can sing this and mean it?